when um, Mary Jean texted me and she gave me two, uh, I guess, titles or, or themes of what you were going to do today, and um, one of them had to do with Kingdom Masterpiece. What she didn't know was I was sitting at my desk when I got that text. I had my computer open before me. I had just listened to four hour-long teachings on the kingdom of God, and I was delving into them. I had transcribed them. They had so touched my heart, I had transcribed them, and I was, and I was digging into the kingdom of God, and the Holy Spirit was, was answering some questions that I'd been asking him through this teaching on the kingdom of God, and I, well, there was just really no question that it was kingdom masterpiece, that that was the direction. I really thought what the Lord was giving me was just for me to answer a question I'd been asking him. But maybe you've been asking him that question too. You know, I have, um, I'm, I am um, the oldest person, there's one other person on our staff. We have probably 50 people at least on staff, 60 maybe, and I'm the next to the oldest person on staff. They call us the golden girls. But I'm the oldest of the Golden Girls, and, I, I, and I'm not embarrassed about being older. I have lived, God has allowed me to live through, through some of the greatest moves of God, wonderful moves of God. Some of you have not experienced those, but I have. I lived through the great healing revivals. I was in, I don't know if you even know who Catherine Kuhlman was. Benny Hinn learned how to minister from Catherine Kuhlman. And I was in her choir in Denver, Colorado. And uh, I was just in my 20s, and I just, oh, wow, you should have been there. <laughs> and of course, the Oral Roberts and the healing revival, the great healing revivals. And then I just happened to be living right in the middle of the great charismatic move of God. When God decided to pour out his spirit, started with a little old Episcopalian guy named Dennis Bennett. And, and just through the nation, through the world, I can remember going to a big conference once, and, and it was so funny to watch. It was an Episcopalian priest, and he had, it was when those big curly hairdos on men were popular. And when the Holy Spirit hit him, it looked like his hair stood on end, and it was really funny. But, but we saw marvelous things. We saw the glory of God. Suzanne is here with me today. She and I used to travel together a lot. Remember when we went to the Hagen meeting and, and we were setting up high and uh, the power of God began to move and it was hilarious. It was like everybody was jumping in rhythm, just jumping in. Oh, it's incredible. We've seen some wonderful things. We've seen some wonderful things. The great healing revivals, the great charismatic revivals, the word of faith Thank God for the word of faith. It, you, those of you did, who have not lived before the word of faith do not know what a blessing God gave us when he opened the word to us and showed us the power of speaking his word. I'm alive because I learned the power. I would be dead because of cancer had I not learned the power of speaking his word. And so many others, uh, you know, uh, just so much that God has done. Well, and, and, you know, so we go through these wonderful moves of God. I could, I could name a couple of others that, uh, that didn't impact me quite as, I, I never really uh, got too much into the laughter thing. Uh, I've been in, I, I, I will tell you this funny story. It, it used to bother me that, uh, that that didn't happen a lot when I was ministering. And I was at a 
conference, doing a conference with another lady. Actually, it was Lois Godwin. Y'all know who Lois Godwin is? And uh, Lois Godwin was the other speaker. And it, she was really moved in that thing. I mean, she'd lay her hands on people and they'd laugh and fall out, you know. And so um, everybody was waiting for Lois to get up and speak. I had to speak before her. And uh, so I spoke, and then they were really anxious for Lois to speak. She spoke just before lunch. And so when she got through speaking, she said, anybody who would really like for the Lord to just bless them, come up here. Well, of course, the whole building responded because they all wanted to laugh and fall out. You know, I mean, it, it was fun. And so uh, she looked around, and, she, and she, we, we were on a time schedule. They were serving lunch. So, you know, she, she didn't have time to do all these people. So she said, Billy, would you come help me? And I thought, oh, these poor people. You know, this, this side is really going to... So she started and I started. And the first, I, I remember the lady, never seen her before, haven't seen her since. She was a, an ori- a beautiful oriental lady. And she had her little hands up. And I remember touching her. And when I touched her, it was as though I had put my finger in a light socket I mean, the power of God shot through me into her. She jumped up in the air, spun around, went down, and laughed hysterically. And I imagine I looked surprised because I was. Every person, Seal Burr, anybody here know Seal Burr? Some of you know Seal Burr. Seal Burr is in my Bible study. She, she had gone to that conference with me. Seal Burr is a little proper Episcopalian woman. Spirit-filled, but very properly spirit-filled. You know, the people I hang out with are properly spirit-filled. We're charismatic. We're we're conservative charismatics. When I touched her, the Holy Spirit picked her up, threw her out of her shoes, onto the floor, and Seal rolled and laughed hysterically. So did everybody else. When I came to myself, I was so exhausted, I looked up, and Lois was standing over here like this, and nobody was down on this side, <laughs> which said something to me. It's not about the minister. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit. We've, you know, we've seen wonderful things. My heart yearns for a move of God. Does your heart yearn for a move of God? I'm not looking for the same move of God. You know, if, if he wants us to fall out and laugh, let's do it. If he wants us to jump up and down, let's do it. I, I personally love the deeper moves where he opened the word to us in the word of faith. And it changed our, our lives and it changed our families. But I'm a teacher, so I go for that a little more. So the Lord began to talk to me. And one of the things he said to me was this. And this was just before uh, uh, we have a fellow on our staff who is a curriculum, he writes curriculum, I also write curriculum, I write adult curriculum, he writes children's curriculum. I do not have a degree in Greek and Hebrew. He does. He writes children's curriculum, and he has a degree in Greek and Hebrew. But occasionally, he'll come in my office, and, and we'll, uh, we love to talk to each other, because we love, it's Mary Jean and I are like that. When we go out to eat with our husbands, they talk golf, and we talk the word. And, you know, we just, we, I love the word. So he is the one that turned me on to, to this teaching and suggested that I listen to this. And, but the Lord had said this to me prior to that. Every move of God that ever happened didn't just fall on a congregation. It seemed like it did, but it didn't. Every move of God started with an individual or a group of individuals who had a passionate desire to see God move. 
They didn't even know what they were. Dennis Bennett didn't have a clue what he was asking for. He just wanted more of God and it just bubbled out in the Holy Spirit and changed the whole, his whole church, dumped over into the Catholic church. I remember teaching a Bible study once and it was in a Catholic home and I looked up and there were four or five Catholic priests sitting in the, in the, in the group and they were all spirit filled. It was wonderful. It was glorious. So uh, as the Lord talked to me about this, he began to talk to me about the power of the kingdom of God inside the individual. And so I want to share with you, because I believe God, I don't, I don't believe any of you is here by accident. As I said, I've never taught this before, and that's the reason I'm, and, and they have an enormous time up here for me. I mean, it is just, turn around and look at it. Even without my, even without my distance contact, I could, see, with, with no contacts, and either eye, I could see that. Oh, okay, I'm keeping moving. I'm not looking up. <laughs> but I believe God handpicked you because God's hand is on you. Now, some of you, I, I, I just believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. The enemy is also attacking because he knows what God is wanting to do. He is seeing the heart. He doesn't see our hearts, but he hears our prayers when we pray out loud. And, and so the enemy is trying to stop what God is going to do. Now, notice I didn't say trying to do. God didn't try to, God didn't try to do something. God looks for a man or a woman. He reveals what he wants to that man or woman. He expects us to pray that back to him and to press that through until he does what he wants to do. And we must not get distracted by attacks of the enemy. We must recognize them for what they are. They are distractions to keep us from, from pursuing and bringing into reality what our God desires to do in this hour. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone, you can use your iPhone. But open your Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And this will be sort of our text. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. So uh, if, if you have your little pen, never come to hear me or Mary Jean without your pen and pencil, because we will give you some scripture to look up. I'm going to read this to you from the New King James, and this is what it says. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, now listen to what he says. The time is fulfilled. <laughs> the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Wow. Three powerful statements. The time is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. It's time. God, God is ready to do something new. God is ready to do something exciting. God wants to manifest his power and glory in our midst. The time is fulfilled. Say that. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. <laughs> it's at hand. And thirdly, repent and believe the gospel. When, um, right now I'm teaching the book of Isaiah in my Bible study and, and in my ladies' classes. Uh, I start teaching it in my ladies' classes in September in the ark. And um, in the book of Isaiah, there's more prophecy about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the end times than any other. In fact, it, it's quoted more than any other book in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Paul quoted it. Jesus quoted it. He, it's quoted so much. And, um, and Isaiah, a hundred years before it happened, Isaiah prophesied that Israel, Judah, he was, he was prophesied to Judah, not Israel, but he prophesied that Israel and Judah were going to go into captivity. He also prophesied that they were going to come out of captivity and that God was going to visit them again. Now, all through the Old Testament, the Old Testament expectation was that, that when the, the uh, temple was rebuilt, the temple was destroyed, but that when the temple was rebuilt, the glory of God would come to the temple and the glory of God would be restored. Now, how often have I prayed, oh, Lord, restore the glory of God to your church? Have you ever prayed that? Boy, I have. I want to see God's glory. I want to see it in my life. I want to see it greater than I've ever seen it before. I want to see it in our services. I want to see it among us. I want to see the glory of God. But the problem was that when they rebuilt the temple, in Ezra and Nehemiah, they're talking about the return from the captivity and the rebuilding. When they rebuilt the temple, it just didn't, you know, the older people remembered Solomon's temple. And they said that, you know, this, it, where's the glory? Because when Solomon finished building the temple, what happened? The glory fell. The glory fell. And when the glory fell, it was incredible how the glory of God filled the temple. And God was in the Holy of Holies. From that moment on, God was in the Holy of Holies. And under the law, even if you were the high priest, you better be prayed through and free of sin when you walked in there. Because you were walking into God's presence and the glory. But that never happened to the new temple. They were looking for the glory to fill the temple. So when Jesus came, a lot of them missed who he was because they were looking for the wrong thing. Now see, we, sometimes we miss what God's doing because we're looking for the wrong thing. Let's don't look for the wrong thing. The, the phrase, the time is fulfilled, has to do with eschatology. Eschatology is the part of theology that deals with final events of history and the ultimate destiny of humanity. So when, when Jesus said the time is fulfilled, Isaiah, it's amazing, all those years before, the, before they were taken into captivity, before they came out, before Jesus came, before the Calvary, before the resurrection, before his return, which he hasn't come back yet, before the millennial, before the end of time... Isaiah prophesied all this stuff. Amazing, isn't it? It's written for us that we might understand. This is referring to the promise of the Jew Jewish Messiah, hope and the fulfillment of God's plan. They were looking for the glory. But Old Testament expectation looked for the age of the Spirit. They considered the glory the Spirit of God. But listen to this Mark 1, this is still Mark chapter 1. Now we're going to look at, at uh, verse 9 through 11. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens, Jesus saw the heavens parting, and he saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. <laughs> the glory. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The greatest evidence of the ending of Satan's rule and reign, the greatest evidence, and the kingdom of God coming 
is the coming of the Spirit. And that descending on Jesus of the Holy Spirit was the coming of the Spirit that had been prophesied, that was the beginning of the, the consummation of all things and the return of God's rule and reign on the earth. Isn't that wonderful? The very first thing that happened to Jesus when, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, the very first thing, the coming of the Spirit, and the very first thing the Spirit did was drive him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now listen to me. Did I not just say the enemy's trying to distract us? The enemy's attacking us? Wonder what he's worried about. Did the same, the Holy Spirit actually drove Jesus into the wilderness to be confronted by Satan. Now, there's some things we can learn from this. Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness before he was confronted by Satan. So, the beginning of our seeing a mighty move of God, the beginning of our seeing the glory of God in our individual lives, the beginning of our seeing what we desire to see is to make the determination that we're not going to be distracted, that we're going to bring ourselves, you know, the whole thing of fasting is bringing your flesh under subjection. And let me confess to you, I hate to fast. I love food. I love to eat. It's really difficult for me to fast. Anybody else? Am I the only person? But I know the Holy Spirit dealt with me early this year that I needed to not just make fasting an occasion or an event that I did once every five years, but I needed to begin to fast on a regular basis. And by that, I needed to pull myself apart, not be distracted by preparing a meal or eating a meal, but I needed to pursue the Lord and let the Lord begin to minister to me. And that was long before I started pursuing the Lord about, I want to see your glory. That's the beginning. That's what Jesus did. But this is, this is one of the things I, I wanted to point out to you just quickly, just a little thought. One of the things that Satan did to Jesus to try to get him to prove he was the son of God he took him to the high pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down right there in the middle of the temple. Because it's written, he'll give his angels charge over you. You know what he was trying to get him to do? Malachi, the book of Malachi says, God will suddenly come to his temple. It's a prophecy that God would suddenly come to his temple. So he says, if you're really God... If you're really the Messiah, then suddenly come to your temple. Just jump down there. Do you think Jesus was going to fall for that? Well, the first thing was Jesus knew that that wasn't the temple. That was a building. Jesus made the statement to his disciples, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it back up. But he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. He could have turned around and said, are you stupid, Satan? I am the temple of God. I have suddenly come to my temple. I have suddenly, that's the first, Jesus is the first example of God personally inhabiting humanity. He always lived in the holy place. We come to him, we pursued him, but he, and the Holy Spirit would come on us from outside, but he wasn't in us. Oh, I want you to get this. I want you to know God has something for you beyond anything you've ever imagined. He wants you to understand who you are. 
I am who he says I am. I am the temple of the Most High God. My body is the dwelling place of God on earth, and so is yours. Every single believer that has ever received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior was inhabited by the Spirit of God. Just as the Spirit came on Jesus when he came up out of that water, the Spirit of God enters us and energizes our dead human spirit and gives us God's very life. Here's the problem. We don't know what to do with it. We don't recognize it. We don't nourish it. When, when God spoke to Jesus, when he was baptized, there was a voice. The Spirit descended. The Spirit entered Jesus. The Spirit, and you know, the Bible says that he came back from that time of Satan tempting him, of Satan attacking him, of Satan challenging him. He came back in the power of the Spirit and began his ministry. But when he came up out of the water, before the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, the, Holy, the voice of God said something. He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that statement reflected two things in the life of Jesus. Number one, you are my beloved son. That was a unique relationship with God. Do you realize we have a unique relationship with God? John wrote in 1 John, we are right now the sons of God. We are God's children. We are God's birthed ones. I have been born of the Spirit. I have the very life of God dwelling in me. I am, I am God's beloved daughter. And then it, John goes on to say, and it has not yet appeared to us. It has not occurred to us what we shall be. The kingdom of God is here and now, what I am now, but it's also becoming. I am becoming. I am now. God says I am, so I am, and I am becoming just like him, just like him. And the second thing that that voice declared to Jesus and revealed to Jesus was his assignment. You're my son, you have an assignment. You're my daughter, you have an assignment. Your assignment is not to see how much pleasure you can have in life. Your assignment is not to see how happy you can be. Although all of those things are part of the blessing of the Lord that makes us rich and adds no sorrow. But we have an assignment. You are here for a purpose. God needs you in order to fulfill his purpose. And in, until we learn to yield to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, we are not going to fulfill our purpose. We're not going to fulfill our purpose. It's the same for us. The Holy Spirit equips us for ministry, the ministry that God has called us to. Every person in this room has a ministry. We all have a ministry. You may not all have a pulpit ministry, but you know, there are a lot of women that I minister with that don't have a pulpit ministry that I think have a much more powerful ministry than I'll ever have in a pulpit because God uses us in different ways. And there are people I cannot touch that you can touch. And there are people that I can touch that you cannot touch. And so what God needs us. He needs us. The church began on Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit on believers. First he came on Jesus at his baptism. And then he came on the whole church at Pentecost. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be endued with power from on high. And this power will enable you to be my witnesses at home and, and going out from home. 
until the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus spoke of the kingdom in his ministry two different ways. Sometimes he spoke of the kingdom as a future, in the, in the future tense. And sometimes he spoke of the, of, of the kingdom as, as a present reality. When he said, you are the light of the world, he was speaking of the kingdom of God in the present reality. You are right now the light of the world. You are right now the factor that will draw people to me. You are the light. But he also talked about the future. When he talked about, I will return. And when I, re when I return, you will be like me. You are going to be caught up. He, he talked about the future. So the kingdom is not just now. It is now, but it's also the future. And we have to understand that. And this is the other thing we have to understand. The when we think of kingdom, we think of like the kingdom of the United States, the kingdom of Great Britain. It's not a place. The kingdom of God is not a place. Oh, well, what about heaven? Well, heaven's a place, and the kingdom of God may, will be in heaven, but the kingdom of God is not heaven. Heaven is a place. The kingdom of God is not a place that we're going to. The kingdom of God is not a future event that we're going to experience. It doesn't belong in space and time. It's bigger than space and time. The kingdom of God is much bigger than space and time. It has to do with two words, rule and reign. The kingdom of God has to do with rule and reign. The last days, when the Bible talks about the last days, all through the old covenant and all through the prophets, talks about the last days. The last days began when Jesus entered the earth. That's when the last days began. The new age of God's rule on earth began the day Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came upon Jesus. And God began to rule and reign on earth through man. One man, Jesus. Then 120 men and women. And then 3,000 men and women. Don't you know, when, uh, when Satan killed Jesus, he thought, good enough for you. He'd been chasing the seed. You can see him chasing the seed all the way through the Bible. That's a whole teaching you could do about how he chased the seed through the Bible. Every time he heard somebody say the seed of God, he tried to kill that person. And oftentimes he did kill him. And so when he nailed Jesus on the cross, good enough for you, you're dead. But then he rose from the dead. Oh no, he's back. But then he sees him going back to heaven. He'll, great, go on back up there. Get off the earth. This is my domain. I stole this. I have a lease on this earth. Get off the earth. And he thought, oh, good, he's gone. But then, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on 120 people, oh, no, now there's 120 of them. What am I going to do with 120 of them? Then Peter preached, and there were 3,000 of them. Only God knows how many of us there are now. Don't you know he's pulling his little horns off? <laughs> God has just begun to rule and reign. And he's going to rule and reign through you. And he's going to rule and reign through me. The time is fulfilled. It's time, y'all. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know, uh, Jesus was speaking to some uh, Pharisees. And uh, this is in Luke 17, 20 and 21. He was asked by the Pharisees, when 
uh, the kingdom of God would come. He's, when is the kingdom of God going to come? You're so smart. Tell us when the kingdom of God's going to come. Listen to what he said. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. So it's not, you're not going to be able to judge the kingdom of God by what you see with your eyes. But listen to what he says. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, some of the original Greek translations say in your midst, indicating that the kingdom of God was embodied in Jesus. And that was a fact which they missed. Their unbelief kept them from seeing and they crucified their king. He was saying that the kingdom of God, when he said it's not to be observed, it's not external and it's not physical. The kingdom of God is not external and it's not physical. Now you can see, you know, it's like when he was talking about the Holy Spirit in John, is it chapter three, where Jesus said to Nicodemus, is that where Nicodemus came in John chapter three, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, Nicodemus, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind. Now, we live in a place where we have windstorms. We call them hurricanes. And you, but you, can't, you can see the result of the wind. You can hear, the, you really can't even hear the wind. What you hear is when the wind blows through the trees, it causes a sound. But it's not observed. It's not, it's not physical. It's not external. It is internal and it is spiritual. The kingdom of God is internal, and it is spiritual. It's not, a, it's not a political domain. That was a mistake that a lot of people made in the time that Jesus was here, because Rome was dominating, and Rome was controlling, and they expected Jesus to completely defeat Rome. They thought that's what their Messiah would do, but he had a bigger picture. He had a bigger plan than Rome. His plan was the universe, not just a nation. And we've got to understand, we have to, we cannot get dis, so distracted. Now, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think that we must, there are things we must do politically. We must vote. We must pray. We must take a stand. There are things we must do politically, but we need to understand that we will never be able to dominate the king. The kingdom of God will never be a political kingdom. It will never be. It's a spiritual kingdom. Uh, let me throw this in quickly. It has nothing to do, do with what I'm teaching, but it will encourage you, I think. I know it will encourage Mary Jean because she prays all the time for our nation. Uh, we have a lady in our Bible study whose uh, family recently went to Washington, D.C. There was a, a room dedicated to her father-in-law, and they went up for that dedication. And they were invited to the White House. They did not meet the president, but they were invited to the White House, and they were invited uh, to, and took a little tour through the White House. And the person that took them on the tour through the White House told them that the White House has prayer all the time. All of the staff at the White House prays together. And that uh, there, two of them are Jewish, but the rest of them are all Christians, and they pray together. Is that something you knew or did not know? We need to know this, that God is planted. He has, his, he has the kingdom of God installed in the White House. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying our president is the king of, of kings or anything like that. I'm saying that there are believers in the White House, that the operation of the Spirit is in the White House. 
Mr. Pence, we know, is a very, very, very strong believer. And, and he, well, it's just amazing. You just need to know that. But the kingdom of God isn't political. No, it can influence kingdoms. Uh, back to Isaiah. I, I keep referring to it because that's where I'm teaching right now. Isaiah prophesied the release uh, after seven, that they were going to go into captivity. They were going to be in captivity for 70, 70 years. And then he, he prophesied and gave the name of the king that would release them. A hundred years before that king was born. And so when that king, somebody brought him that prophecy and said, hey, did you know your name is in a Jewish prophecy? Really? And he saw his name. And when he saw his name and that the God of the universe knew him a hundred years before he was born, wrote his name down and, and said what he was going to do, he immediately rose up and did what God said he would do, released them. Not only did he release them, he paid for them to rebuild their temple. He paid for them to rebuild their wall. God is God. It's not political, but it can certainly influence politics. If we learn how to walk in love and pray and let the Holy Spirit use us the way he wants to use us. Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. I had to throw this in because of Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Jesus was handed the book of Isaiah. This is, uh, this is in Luke chapter 4. And when he had opened the book... He found the place where it was written. John Osteen had a sermon called uh, Find Where It's Written About You. And he reads this. He found the place where it was written about him. And he began to read. Now listen, you need to understand Jesus was reading this about himself, but this is true about me. This is true about you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 61. And then he closed the book. He didn't read the rest of it. That, that chapter goes on. He didn't read the rest of it. He read what was written about him. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Are you kidding me? Isaiah wrote that. Oh, wow. Today? Are you saying that's you? Yeah, I'm saying that's me. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. When John questioned the identity of Jesus, you know, they were raised together, but Jesus didn't act the way John expected him to act. After all, he ate with sinners. Remember, when you, when you compare their ministries, John's ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And it said that the winnowing fork was in his hand telling me he had a rough ministry. He was not kind. He was a, he was a wild evangelist. Jesus, on the other hand, ate with sinners. He ministered to everybody because he, he was coming, he was, he was installing a brand new, whole new way of doing things. 
And so John, when he got thrown in jail, he thought, man, here I am thrown in jail. They're probably going to kill me. And, and they're telling me that Jesus is doing all these things. Is it possible he's not the Messiah? Is it possible? I missed it. You know how the devil will do you. And Jesus didn't say, go tell him, yes, I am. No, that's not what he said. He said, you go back and you tell John. You go back and you tell John. And then he, and he began to list what Isaiah said. You go back and quote this scripture in John, in Isaiah to John, and you tell him I'm doing those things. And he won't, and not to be offended in me. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Now, I, I just want to throw this in because I don't know what God's about to do. And I've had to pray this because, I, as I said, I am a conservative charismatic. So I've had to pray, Lord, whatever you decide to do, help me not be offended by it. <laughs> now, I'm just being honest. You, we need to make up our mind that whatever God decides to do, we're not going to get offended I'm not going to miss it. Listen, do you know one of the reasons I've gotten to go through all the stuff I've gotten to go through and experience? I can tell you. I know the time. I know the exact moment that God said okay to me. I was watching Christian television. It had just started. I mean, Christian television was a brand new thing. That's how old I am. It was a brand new thing. And I don't know who they were talking to, but they were talking to somebody about what God was doing on the earth. And it was so stirring my heart. I was, I was alone in my living room and I was weeping. I was just weeping. I said, oh God, I feel like I'm, I'm sitting in the grandstands watching what you're doing on the earth. Is there any way, this, these are my exact words, is there any way you can get me out of these grandstands and on that playing field? Years later, I was sitting on the set of Praise the Lord. I'd been interviewed by somebody. And they said, Billy, look into that camera and lead people to Jesus. And I looked into the camera, and I began to lead people to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said to my spirit, do you know where you are? You're sitting on the set that you were watching. You're on the playing field. Wow. And he did so much more than that. He did so much more than, listen, we've got to decide I'm not going to be offended with what God's going to do. Whatever God wants to do, I'm going to be a part of it. Whoever it separates me from, whoever it joins me to, I want to be in the center of what God's doing. I want to be the one that God uses. Wow, I'm going to skip some things. And, and, and on two occasions, Jesus sent out his disciples one time he sent out the 12. One time he sent out 70. And both times he sent them out, he told them to preach the, king, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. We have the same assignment that Jesus had. <laughs> Jesus. The kingdom is present. It's future. It's already here, but it's not yet. I've already started, but I, it's not yet. I haven't finished. I'm not nearly done. Are you, Mary Jean? I'm, I'm not ready to retire. Are you? I'm just refiring. Who knows what God has in our future? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what does this have to do with the move of God now? What does this have to do with the move of God now? Well, in John seven thirty-seven through 39, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, 
If anybody's thirsty, let him come unto me. Let him come unto me and drink. He who believes on me, as the scripture has said, now listen, out of his innermost being, out of his heart, shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he was full of the Spirit, but nobody else was. This he spoke of the Spirit, which had not yet been given. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at his baptism empowered him. Everything Jesus did on the earth, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit because he was demonstrating kingdom rule and kingdom reign for us. He was demonstrating. And so he said in John 14, 12 through 18, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes on me, what, was it, what were the last things? Uh, repent, and be, believe and repent. The time is at hand. The kingdom is here. Now re- believe the kingdom and repent. Turn away from the world. Turn away from everything else. Turn toward God. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, Wow, this is a powerful statement. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a lot in that little statement. And I will pray my Father, and he will give another helper. He, he He will abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him. For he dwells with you. Now, he's, he hasn't left the earth yet. The, the Spirit hasn't come on the disciples yet. They've believed Jesus. They've received him as Savior. They know him as Savior, but they haven't been given life by the Holy Spirit yet. He dwells with you, but he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Wow. And he had already told him in Acts 1, that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But notice that. He tells them, he gives them some real good instruction here. He says that you've got to believe on my name. You'll be able to do glorious things, but don't just think about what you can do. Think about commitment to me. Think about relationship. Think about obedience. Because if you really want to see the power of God in your life, then you've got to see how close to God you can get. Not how close to the edge you can walk and still walk in power. But how close to God you can get. That's what that fasting's all about, y'all. It's to get rid of all of that junk in your life so the power of God can minister to you. We experience the power of God when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He's in us, but he needs to come up on us. Out of our innermost being, he needs to come up on us. He needs to saturate our thinking. According to to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we don't want to be conformed to the world. We've got to stop thinking like the world. We've got to stop reasoning like the world. And we must be transformed, changed from the inside out by the renewing of our mind, by thinking in a different way, by a different expectation, by a different confession, if we want to see the power of God. And I want to see the power of God. You shall receive power. Every believer has the Holy Spirit within. But every believer does not know how 
to work with the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom, to manifest the kingdom of God on the earth. I'll leave you with this scripture. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think, according to the power, not just the power that's in us, the power that's at work in us, the power that's energized in us. Oh, Father, I ask you this morning, visit us, awaken us, stir us, make us uncomfortable. Oh, I ask you, Lord, to cause us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord, if you're looking for someone to use, here we are. Use us. Lord, cause us to recognize the diversions and the distractions of the enemy that would keep us from the purposes and plans you have for our life. Cause us to rise up. Rise up and drive the enemy off and step into the power of the Spirit. Return from the wilderness of temptation in the power of the Spirit to perform your will in Jesus' name. Now, you know, we're, um, we're going we're to do two things. The first thing I want to do is I want to ask the Lord to energize the Holy Spirit within us. Do you want that? Is there anybody here who's never been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You'd like to be? Let me see your hand. Anybody here? Never been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, good. Oh, that's good. I really felt like that I didn't need to pray for that, that everybody would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's, that's the first thing I'd like to do. Then uh, Mary Jean's going to come and, and do some business. And then I want to pray for anybody who is, is battling. The enemy's attacking you, and you're battling. And we want to agree together. There are enough of us here to release enough glory to chase any demon that may be trying to attack you out the door. And away from you. So we want to pray for your needs, whatever your needs are. I'm not in a hurry. If I need to be here till 530, that's fine. My darling husband will not starve. And so that's what we're going to do. But first, let's, if you really, if you don't want this, well, uh, lay down so nobody else realizes you're just still sitting. But, but if you would really like for the Holy Spirit to be energized and for God to use you, and you want that passionate desire to see a move of God, stand to your feet. I want to pray over you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm, I'm just going to pray for you right where you are because I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to touch you. I don't need to touch you. He's going to touch you. Just raise your hands to receive. Let's just, be, let's just pray in the Spirit for a few minutes. You know, I, the Lord reminded me of something He had me do years ago that, that I need to do, some of you need to do. What he said to me is, some of you have uh, desired to have different anointings, anointings of different people. I, I had everybody, I had uh, Suzanne um, and I went and had Hagen lay his hands on us. I, I mean, we had all sorts of people lay their hands on us for anointings. And one night the Lord had me take off all those anointings, including my Aunt Lorena's, which was my most treasured anointing. Take them off. Take all those mantles off. You've asked the Lord for all those anointings, but I want to give you my anointing. And, and it's, it's better than all those anointings. I want you to have my anointing. So let's give up everything, that, anything that we put confidence in before. 
any ministry that may have touched us, anything, anything like that. Let's lay it all aside so that the Lord can give us a fresh anointing, his anointing, the mantle of Jesus on us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on us, that spirit on us, Father, right now, just just pray to say, Father, I ask you to cleanse me of everything that would hinder your spirit, any anointing of any ministry that I've ever asked for, I give it back to you. And right now, I ask you to cause the Holy Spirit to be shed abroad in my heart. Awaken me, dig out my ears, cleanse my heart, prepare me, Lord, and use me to bring your kingdom. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because you've anointed me. I receive that anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap.